Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're in a series uh, talking about uh, our mental health, the mental health struggles and challenges that we face as human beings, but especially uh, during this time as we face as Christians. Uh, we all have it. To deny that we struggle in our minds is to deny truth. And the first big step in getting a, a, a problem solved in your life is to admit that you have a problem, and then you can work towards a solution. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4, says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about every, anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Our current series is called Feed Your Mind. That's the, that's the bigger series, and we're doing a series within a series right now. Um, what we're addressing, as I said, is our mental health and the mental health struggles. The toll that is being taken on society in general is not just limited to society in general. It also hits and affects believers in Jesus. And it affects believers in Jesus in a brutal way. Um, conversations I'm having and, and things I'm reading, uh, it's, it's a very big struggle during this time for many people. Maybe you here in the uh, congregation or maybe you watching us on Facebook are feeling that and things are starting to, the walls are starting to close in on you and, and your mind is starting to go to places that it shouldn't go to and you don't like it to go to and, and darkness is on the edge trying to creep into your thought process and, and you're feeling like uh, you're losing control. I get it, I understand it. Just because, and, and for Christians, that's, that's a tough place to be because we have been given the Spirit of the Holy Spirit of God, and we feel like we should be able to be above these things. We feel like we should be able to deal with these things without a problem. And we think that, uh, and many of us have been taught through the years, that all we need to do is pray. Well, I will not dismiss the power of prayer. I will never dismiss the power of prayer. But prayer, many times, is the gateway to finding God's answer. And God gives you the answer and you need to take action. And it goes beyond simply praying about it. So we're dealing with these struggles and these challenges. And what we're trying to do here on Sunday mornings is ensure that we're all geared up and ready to be able to face these mental struggles and these mental challenges that face us. Our current series, sermon series uh, deals with those, and what we're trying to do is, is get into the Bible and find Bible principles, biblical principles that we can apply to everyday life right now to deal with the struggles that we're going through. I, I've been giving you a lot of numbers lately in, I, in my sermons. I love numbers. It's what drives, it's what drew me to baseball, and it's why I love baseball so much, because baseball is a numbers game. It's all about statistics. I love statistics. I love uh, baseball statistics especially. Um, but I think the reason I love statistics so much is because they, they show, as long as they're done honestly, <laughs> they show 
the true nature of a situation. And with all the analytics out there in baseball, um, and some of the old school baseball fans that are in our church and maybe with us this morning, with all the different a analytics that are out there in baseball that, that uh, I pretty much ignore, if a guy can hit for, for a high batting average, hit a lot of home runs and drive in a lot of runs, get a lot of RBIs, the guy's a great baseball player. Amen. I don't care what the analytics say about you know, what he does in the seventh inning on a, third, on a two and one count to a left-handed pitcher that was born in Alaska on a Thursday next door to the Aleutian Islands. I don't know. I don't care about those things. I, oh, hey, man, if the guy can hit for average, if he can hit a home run, uh, quite a few of them, and he can drive in runs, I think the guy is great. So uh, that's why I like statistics. So I bring statistics into these messages because as we continue to see numbers grow and numbers uh, mount up during this time. Numbers tell a story. Numbers don't lie. Calls to suicide hot hotlines, as I said last week, are up over a thousand percent right now during the COVID crisis in the United States. Suicides directly related to the, to the virus are expected to skyrocket in the late summer and early fall. That's when experts are predicting this. As many as 22,000 plus suicides above the average in America, which is 48,000 suicides per year. Last week I told you that domestic violence is on the increase, not just in America, but worldwide. Violence outside is down, crime is down, but violence in the home is skyrocketing. And it's expected, the, those who study uh, that are expecting uh, at least 15 million new reports, reported cases of, of domestic violence worldwide because of this pandemic. There's a mental health crisis on our doorstep and it's affecting followers of Jesus as well. I shared with you last week that a prominent pastor in America, 49 years old, committed suicide just a week and a half ago. It's happening, it's affecting many, many people. I'm telling you folks, if you don't get a handle on your mental health right now, it's only gonna get worse. You're going to struggle even more. It is vital that we deal with these things beginning with our heart, admitting that we need Jesus Christ and we need his help with this, and then from a, from a willing heart, we go to developing a healthy mind. According to Medscape.com and Dr. Eric Fliegler, mental health professionals are particularly concerned about a potential increase in gun-related suicides. And let me, just, let me just give this disclaimer. Uh, I don't particularly care where you stand on the Second Amendment and guns. I am a Second Amendment guy. I served in the military. One of my favorite parts of being in the Army was shooting guns. I got to shoot a 50 caliber machine gun with a butterfly trigger and shoot it at an old car, and it was a rush. I loved it. It was a great time. I loved those three weeks of BRM, uh, basic rifle marksmanship shooting the pop-up target, shooting the long distance. I loved it. I had a great time. So I am a Second Amendment guy, and I, don't, I particularly don't care how many weapons you own. That's, you know, just keep them locked up and keep them away from people. That's just my, uh, that's just my opinion, and I'm how allowed to have that opinion. But mental health professionals are concerned about, some, uh, about two different facts that are coming together. First, people are struggling mentally right now. 
and the calls to suicide hotlines have skyrocketed. At the same time, gun sales in the United States have skyrocketed. In March of this year, March of 2020, more than 2.5 million firearms were sold, including 1.5 million handguns. That's an increase of 85% in gun sales during this time. And what that, that's not talking about a revolution. Nobody's worried about a revolution or anything like that. The concern for mental health professionals is this. Those research has shown that individuals who buy handguns have a 22 times higher rate of firearm-related suicide within the first year of owning that handgun. So it's a perfect storm. It's people that are struggling with their mental health who are buying a handgun. And now they have, they have the motive, if you will, to go along with the means. That's the problem. That's, the, that's, what they're, that's what they're looking at. As I said last week, I believe we're entering, and all that leads to this, I believe, we're in, I believe we've entered it already, the anger phase of the shutdown in America. On my prayer drive last night as I, I drove through part of Springfield and then uh, through a couple other towns, and it didn't matter the town I drove through, at nine o'clock at night, the police were out in force, Lights were on everywhere, and it wasn't pulling people over. There was, there's stuff going on. People were having graduation parties, and the police were being called to break up graduation parties. Listen, wherever you, it does... <sighs> I think one of the frustrating things for me during this time in, a con, in conversation with people is that it seems like a lot of people don't want to get beyond the, the event, they, don't, they, they want to stand and yell about the injustice. They don't want to look at the underlying problem. People act out because of what is inside. People act out because of how they're feeling inside. And pe many people right now are at the point where they've had enough. And they're getting angry. And they're starting to act out. And if you're telling people, once again, it's just, it's just a take. It's not criticism on anybody. But think about it. Those of you who graduated from high school, those of you who graduated from college, those of you who had a special birthday, when you, back before, before all this, you were able to celebrate these things. And now you decide you're going to take your own, your own initiative and you and your family are willing to take a risk of having a party and the police are called to break it up, that develops, that, that can be a trigger for people to escalate their anger. And it's happening. As believers, we have to be able to rise above it. And that's what this series is about. That's what this message is about. We have to be able to, I know, I know. Man, you can, you can have the First Amendment argument all you want. You can have the First Amendment versus the Bible argument. You can have all the arguments about Christians don't need to be looking for the government. They, they, you know, all those, they're all irrelevant when it comes to your walk with Jesus Christ because that is where the rubber meets the road. The rubber meets the road where the Bible connects with your life and you start facing life according to the word of God as a follower of Christ.
The stand you take may not be popular. The feelings you have may not be popular. I, I, uh, I was told this week that the reason I want my church to open up is because it's all about the money. <laughs> Seriously, I had two guys blast me for it. It's all about the money for you. Uh, I promise you, if you are a, a new lifer, you know it's not about the money here. It's not, we are not a big corporate enterprise, okay? Uh, and it's just, it, it's, people are just becoming irrational in their anger. We have to be able to separate ourselves from our feelings about what's going on and dig into what the Word of God says. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say that you as a believer have a responsibility to do? What does the Bible say about faith? What does the Bible say about common sense? What does the Bible say about taking steps out of, uh, out, taking steps away from fear and trusting God? You see, that's where we have to live in this time as followers of Christ. We can't allow the fear or our own personal feelings to take over and cause us to make decisions that are not necessarily according to the word of God. Now, most historians who study troubled times during a nation's history, and many of them have studied pandemics uh, that have happened <laughs> throughout history, they say they usually end one of two ways. First of all, they end because a vaccine is, is found, and the vaccine uh, ends, the, ends it, and... I don't know if that's going to work here in America, man, because people are, are just, like, skeptical. No, I don't want a vaccine. I'm not going to take it. I'm not, you know, not going to trust it. I, you know, so that's the first way. The second way is the people themselves end the pandemic. <laughs> they declare it to be over and go back to living normal life and defy whoever, and it just escalates from there. You saw the mayor of Los Angeles has said, if you are a non-essential business and you don't shut your doors, they're going to shut off your electric and water. Uh, people who live above their stores might have a problem with that. So when people end the pandemic on their own, it never ends well. So if we as believers are not going to do the work we need to do to be the voice of reason and to be the cooler heads that prevail, then we're going to be just like the mob and just like the crowd. <laughs> Anger must be dealt with effectively, but first it must be identified. We hear much about righteous anger. We talked about this last week. And the above example of G the example I used last week of Jesus clearing the temple of the uh, money changers and the, the thieves is always cited about uh, righteous anger. There is such a thing, and we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, but it's not always what we say it is. It's like that line from The Princess Bride. I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? Inconceivable. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Righteous anger. Here's a good definition of righteous anger. It'll be up on the, on the screen. Righteous anger will always be motivated by an offense against God, God's word, <clears throat> or God's people. And it will motivate us towards godly attitudes and actions to try to address the situation. Righteous anger does not come from our opinions, viewpoints, lies, 
divisions among believers. We're seeing a lot of that right now in the church. There is one group that, that is staunchly behind the government. The government is fine. They're not doing anything wrong for telling us that we have to shut down. After all, we can go online. I asked one person this week, because I'll, I'll tell you, in, in full disclosure, I have a real problem with the government telling us we can't have church. I think, it's a, I think it's a violation, not only of the Constitution, I think it's a violation of my God-given right and my God-given command to worship. But that's me, okay? I have to answer for my family, for myself, and for my family. You, you can say <clears throat> whatever you want, and you can have the, uh, the feeling that you want. People say, oh, no, they're not, they're not stepping over the line. They're not doing anything wrong. They're doing it for the health. And you, here's the best one. You don't care about people because the Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, all right, we can address that another time. But let me, let me just put this out there. If there's nothing wrong with what they're doing, and they're doing this out of a, purely mo pure, uh, the, a pure motivation, why don't we go ahead and try to have church? What's going to happen? Do you realize in America right now, pastors are being arrested and Christians are being fined for going to church? For going to church in America... For going to church, that may not bother you, but it bothers me greatly. And I think, it's a, I think it's a dangerous, dangerous step. Be that as it may, we need to make sure that the anger we express is motivated for the right reasons and is expressed in the right way. And it does no good for you to get righteously angry over a situation and not be willing to do something about it. Not be willing to say, okay, I'm going to take action now. I'm going to do something about this. It's your Popeye moment. I've had all I, I, I've had all's I can stand, and I can't stand no more. I'm going to do something about this. See, that's righteous indignation. When you see something that some kind of uh, step that is being taken against God's, way, God's word, God's way, or God's people, and then you're willing to take a stand and do something about it. Honestly, more times than not, the, honor, the anger that we feel and express as followers of Jesus is not that righteous anger, but rather is the anger that's normal and typical for human beings. Great task for us is to learn about anger according to the Bible and learn how to deal with it according to and with biblical principles. Now, last week, just to catch you up, last week we discussed, uh, we identified anger, four different things about anger. We learned a few things about it. The first one was this, sinful anger comes from us. Sinful anger comes from us. James tells us that man's wrath and man's anger does not work the righteousness of God. So if you're getting angry because of a personal slight or if you're getting angry because of an insult towards you and you respond in anger, you're not responding with godly anger. You're responding with human anger. Second thing is your anger is never the right response. You're absolutely wrong for responding in anger that comes from you. The third thing we learned was this. We, learned, we need to learn how to discern good anger from bad anger. And that definition goes a long way to help us. And then the fourth thing is, is just common sense to me. Avoid anger when you can. Avoid anger when you can. <sighs> if that, I know, man, I know we're quarantined and I know we're shut off from the world right now. But listen, if... If it means shutting off your computer and reading a book 
You remember books, right? <laughs> Those things with pages and, and you turned them and it, didn't, it wasn't on a Kindle or anything? If it means shutting off your computer and reading a book or taking a walk or going for a ride or doing something else to keep you from getting angry, then that's what you need to do. Avoid anger when you can. This week we're going to look at the idea of this. Expressing anger as a follower of Jesus. Expressing anger as a follower of Jesus. How should we? What should our... What should our standard be of expressing anger? I'll tell you this, this is an incredibly difficult step in dealing with anger. Warren Wearsby said, we may not be able to prevent other people from being our enemies, but we can prevent ourselves from being enemies towards others. We may not be able to prevent other people from being our enemies, but we can prevent ourselves from being enemies towards others. How do we do this? How do we express anger as a follower of Christ? Is there such a thing? Is it possible to be angry, as the Bible says, be angry and do not sin? How do we go about doing that? Well, the first thing is this. We have to let God handle his business. This is the most difficult step in dealing with anger as a Christian. You need to let God handle his business. What does that mean? Romans 12, 19. This is a tough one. Not just for men, for everybody. And for Christians as well. Christians who, who deal with the, the, the struggle of, of being pushed around and being mocked and whatever. I'm, you know, when you, you talk to people, people say, we, I get mocked for my faith and this and that and the other thing. How, what does it mean to let God handle his business? Romans 12, 19 says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Oh. Oh. That's a tough one to start off with, isn't it? Do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen, here is the way I interpret this and here is the way I, I try to handle this when it comes to matters of the church and spiritual matters with people. I will fight tooth and nail in a discussion to get people to understand the point of the word of God. I will, I will use everything available to me that the Holy Spirit brings to my mind to convince people of their error if I believe they are in error. And to try to convince them, as Paul says, uh, to persuade them. But once they've taken their stand and once they've made their choice, I no longer want to try to fight that battle. I need to leave it where it lays. I don't want to talk about people, people that leave, church, leave the church. I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to have that discussion. I don't even want to explain what happened to people because there are things that I know about lives of people in our church that I could never divulge. And people could actually, and it has been done, people could actually come back and lie about what happened. But because I take seriously the sanctity of the 
privacy of a conversation as a pastor, I will never go back and say, no, this is the way it happened because I believe I'd be betraying that confidence and setting myself up for trouble with other people. So I have to go ahead and take it and just let it ride. And it was, it was one of the hardest things as, as Zach came up through ministry and as Aaron uh, started learning about the church and ministry in the church, one of the hardest things for them to accept was this. You've got to just let it go and allow God to handle his business. Listen, I can run my mouth about people all I want, right? I can run people down. I can say anything I want. I can, I, can handle my, I can handle that on my own and make people feel bad and make myself feel better. But what have I accomplished for the kingdom of God? What have I accomplished? And by the way, God's wrath, God's way of dealing with the problem is not only much better, but it's much more effective than mine ever would be. And as difficult as it is, I have to step away and say, okay, Okay, and I'll pray, God, keep my mouth shut, and God, you take care of this. Listen, let me, let me just make that, make that uh, um, a little more understandable in a personal way. Um, over the last several months, we've had some situations in our church where we've, we've lost some people, and I know the reasons why, and, and the reasons why weren't necessarily the reasons that were brought out because once again, I know what happened. But let me tell you this, we bought a house, we moved off the property, you know why? Because in the span of four months, my family was threatened four times. Four times, threatened. When was the last time that happened at your job? For just trying to do what God called you to do. So I could have stayed here and I could have continued to live on the property and fought that fight and put my family at risk and in danger because they weren't light threats. They were real. One was with a weapon. Or I could put my anger aside and pray and ask God to work a situation out. And you wonder why God opened up a situation that was unopenable and provided us a house so quickly and we closed on the last day you could close mortgages? because that was God's plan. And God worked that situation out for my family better than I could have. My anger would have just caused problems and I wouldn't be up here today preaching this sermon because I wouldn't be the pastor anymore. But laying my anger aside and allowing God to work the situation out, listen, I, and you know what that does? I pray for people, but they're not my responsibility. My family is my responsibility. So it focuses me on what truly matters. Let God handle his business. Leviticus, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. Oh my gosh, is that so tough? That is so difficult. When somebody comes up and insults you, when somebody comes up and just goes after you and just berates you, our human instinct is in our anger to fight back. Yet Jesus says, listen, if you want to handle business the way I want you to handle business, then you just 
walk away. Turn the other cheek and walk away. Now, that doesn't go to uh, the Jehovah's Witness stand where we, we would allow our family to be beaten up because we are that much against violence. I'm going to protect my family. And I'm going to protect myself too, don't get me wrong. But when it comes to arguments and discussions and, and an, a, a, a verbal battle that you, wanted, you just have to respond to, and Jesus says, just walk away. Just walk away. You're only going to make matters worse if you allow your anger loose on other people. Leviticus 19, 18 says, do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of our community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he punctuates that by saying, I am the Lord. That's a command from God. If you don't like to be bullied, don't bully other people. That includes your family. That includes your children. Did you know that, parents, we're called to not provoke our children to anger or rebellion? Many times when you take your anger out on your children, you are just putting in their hearts and in their minds the fact that one day they're going to get out of that house and get as far away as they can. And not just from you, but from God as well, because you're the one that goes to church and professes to be such a wonderful Christian, but at home, you're nothing but a big so-and-so. And they don't want to see anything, they don't want to have anything to do with that. And your anger expressed in your way instead of God's way in your home can drive your children or your spouse away. Matthew 26, verses 52 through 54. Then Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Look at the last part of that passage. How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Think about that. Jesus told Peter, this was the night before Jesus' crucifixion when Peter drew his sword. He cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on. Why, why that didn't dawn on the, those who came to crucify him that this truly was a son of God after doing that, I don't know. But Jesus looked at Peter, at Peter and he says, put your sword away. This is not the way that my father wants to handle this. If you, and now listen, this is, a, this is a powerful, powerful truth. If you handle it your way, God's way will not be done. Do you get that? Does that mean anything? Does that dig into your spirit? If you handle this, this if you handle this issue your way with your anger, God's plan will not be done. God's plan will not come forward. God's plan will not be seen through. The second thing we must do is this. Think your way through the issue. Think your way through the issue. There's a quote unattributed to a, a specific author. It says, anger is one letter short of danger. Anger is one letter short of danger. 
Luke 14, verses 28 and 29 say, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him. We are told, Jesus tells us here in this parable, sit down and count the cost. And that means with your anger and with your actions, sit down and count the cost. Yes, don't be in the habit of losing your temper. Sit down and think the issue through. Is it an issue that requires your righteous indignation and a righteous angry response? Or is this something that you are simply taking offense to because somebody doesn't like the, the kind of music that you like? Or you, somebody said something that you took offense to from the scripture or somebody made fun of your version of the Bible. These are things that don't require a response of righteous anger. Sit down and think the matter through and pray about it. When was the last time you got angry and you prayed for God to give you wisdom on how to deal with the situation? God, is this something I should just let go? Is it, does it not matter? Or should I really allow the Holy Spirit to lead me to bring a response in this matter that will be uh, calculated and will bring glory to you? <laughs> Philippians 4.8, part of our text. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. A couple things to point out there. Is, is your response going to be commendable? And is your response going to be morally excellent? At the end of the day, when you have, when you have gone off and, and, and expressed your anger, is it, is it something that would be commendable? Are you going to be able to have other people look at you and say, other true followers of Christ... Look at you and say, you know what? That was right. You were right in what you said. You were right in what you said. Are you going to be able to say, I, I did this with a pure heart. I didn't break the law. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Are you going to be able to say this was a morally excellent response? You see, this isn't just about thinking happy thoughts. This is about dealing with life as it needs to be dealt with and dealing with anger as it needs to be dealt with. Isaiah 118 says, Come, let us settle, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They are, though they are like crimson, they will be like wool. Jesus invites us to come and sit down and talk with him and reason with him about our sin. And then he asks us throughout, the, it doesn't just end with accepting Christ as our Savior. He says, with everything in life, come and let's sit down and reason this out. Let's figure this out. Let's think about this. Let's come up with a good response. Pray for God's wisdom and direction about the issue and about your response. Pray for God's wisdom and direction about the issue and about your response. Listen, if you're not willing to do that, let me just say this as a hardcore blanket statement. If you are not willing to go to God in prayer about your anger and about your response, then you are in rebellion. Then you are in rebellion. If you are not willing to go to God and ask him, is my God, am I right for being upset? 
or am I wrong? Am I right for wanting to respond this way? Or am I wrong? Am I right for, even, even if you type out a response or you write out a response or you think it through in your head, God, is this a response that will honor you? If you're not willing to pray about it and ask God's leadership and God's permission on dealing with it that way, then you're in rebellion. That's an easy way to understand it. If you are not willing to pray about your anger and how to respond or whether to just let it go, then you're in rebellion against God. Third thing we need to do is this. Get angry at the right things. Get angry at the right things. <laughs> Gary Chapman, great Christian author, said, human anger is designed by God to motivate us to take constructive action in the face of wrongdoing or when facing injustice. God has designed us with the emotion of anger for a purpose. And that purpose is to do something that is valuable and, and uh, positive for the kingdom of God and for the lives of others. I see a great movement around, among churches nowadays. Many uh, churches have, and, and organizations have risen up that are sponsored as missionary outreaches to deal with human trafficking. Well, man, that, the fact that in America, I mean, check this out. In America, the fact that people are still being held slaves and forced to do things, children especially, that should anger us as Christians, not just as Americans. That should anger us as Christians, and that should motivate us to do something. If, 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 if all we can do is pray, that's the best thing we could do, is pray. But if God opens a door for you to get involved somewhere else, out of righteous indignation, trying to help people out of that for the glory of God and to be able to let them see freedom and hear about Jesus Christ. What a great situation that we could, uh, what a great way to express our anger. Ecclesiastes 7.9 says, don't let your spirit rush to be angry for anger, anger abides in the heart of fools. <clears throat> oh, I just feel so much better after I've let it out. Okay, you hear that all the time from people. If you've ever been the object of somebody letting out their anger, they don't feel much better. You know, I've, I've sat there and listened to people go off on me or go off on my family in anger. I got to be honest with you. I'm glad you feel better because I sure don't. I don't feel good at all. I, uh, but it comes down to that selfish thing. I have to let my anger go. No, you need to go and talk to God about it. Because you know what you've done? You've made yourself look like a fool. Proverbs 16.32 says, Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Better a patient person than a warrior. Rick Warren said, Mis Mismanaged anger is a sin. Managed anger is an asset. Mismanaged anger is a sin. Managed anger is an asset. Boy, if you harness that, that the power of that anger with the power of God and you allow God to direct you through a situation to accomplish a task and his purpose, whew, what can be done for the kingdom of God? What are some right things to get angry at? Man, we should get angry at actual sin. We should get angry at real and true actual sin. As Christians, we should be angry about it. Mostly as Christians, we should be angry about sin because sin is the reason people die and go to hell. 
So it should motivate us to reach out with the love of Jesus Christ and the gospel so that they can find Jesus and accept him as their savior and spend eternity in heaven, not in hell. So getting mad at ang getting angry at actual sin is something right. Getting angry about godly concerns, not about personal offenses. I'm not mad because people don't like where I stand, but I'll tell you what, I'm angry that the government's telling me I can't have church. Right, we, we border Franconio Golf Course. Under pressure, the governor opened up golf courses. But you can't have church. If it's a beautiful day here in Western Mass, you can go to Home Depot. You will stand, here's the crazy part, man. You'll stand in line for 30 minutes to get into Home Depot with 350 other people because that's the capacity that they can have at any one time along with all their workers. But we can't be trusted as Christians to go to church and do those same things that they do in a big box store. That makes me angry. I'll be just very honest about it. it. Makes me angry. Doesn't motivate me to violence. What it does is motivate me to pray that God will allow us to, during this time, to take advantage of the things we have to get the gospel out. Had conversations with uh, some of our leadership team this week about things that we're uh, we're trying to ramp up. If you're a man and you want to be join in a conversation, you can email uh, Mike. Um, <laughs> It's my brother-in-law, Mike Safford, or Lewis, or, or Jeremy, or Jonathan. Email that, send them your email, because we're going to try to get Zoom calls going for our men, because it's very beneficial. If you have children, Donna Safford sends out a, a, an email, a Zoom link, so that your kids can get on. And they're the part of the team does stories and crafts and things like that. So we're trying to take advantage of the things that are available to us. That is how I'm, I'm working through my righteous anger. Well, say, listen, and <laughs> this is just an honest morning for me, okay? I'm just going to be honest. This is all motivated by Satan, folks. Satan is trying. If you, it, it, I, I, struggle, I struggle with people who don't think this is an attack on the church. I struggle with that mentality. Of course it is. Of course it is. Satan is trying to destroy people, trying to drive people away. What is the big thing right now? Even Christians are saying, we've got to trust the science. We've got to trust the science. So a virus causes us no longer to trust God? We've got to trust science? That's Satan trying to change the minds of people. I'm not saying you, that, that science, that coming up with a vaccine is great, but when we as followers of Christ put our trust in science before we put our trust in God, then we're wrong. And I'm not saying everybody should rush out and, and clog up churches, and, and that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is your trust needs to be in Jesus Christ and the power of God so that he will give you the wisdom to make the right choices and the right decisions. Get angry at the right things. And then choose and use your anger wisely. Choose and use your anger wisely. <clears throat> you know what? We're going to stop right there for this week. All right? That's enough. I think we've gotten through 
three points. We've got three more points to go. And uh, we, want, we don't want to lose our audience. <laughs> so uh, we're going to stop right there. And uh, listen, I know I've expressed a lot of personal feelings today uh, and was very transparent because I believe that being transparent, if I'm going to be transparent, if I'm going to preach about dealing with anger issues, then I need to be transparent and say I struggle with them as well. And I'm, I'm as much at risk as anybody in letting my anger get away from me and dealing with it, dealing with it, dealing with my anger in situations that do not honor God. So my challenge to you this week is to start praying. If you have not prayed about your anger, I'm not saying to my side of anything. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying if you have not spent time praying about your feelings on the matter, your anger, your mental and emotional health, start praying about it this week. And start looking at the things that are triggering you in anger and say, God, please show me a better way. Because there's a better way. I learn constantly there's a better way. One last illustration. Um, and this, this will show you exactly what I mean. It's, it's transparent again. Okay? Um, Massachusetts Department of Education has some high standards for kids to move on right now, even though they're not allowed to go to school. For a guy like me, I, I, wrote, I talked to the principal and I wrote to the teacher, because East Longmeadow made, made one thing that I thought was great, but it was, they didn't think so. They sent out a survey to parents asking how they were doing. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, they didn't like the responses they got back, but it motivated them to action. And I had a, the principal called me and I had a conversation with him. And I said, listen, Mr. Fredette, you gotta understand, and I wrote this to, to one of the boys' teachers. I said, I'm not joking, I'm being dead serious here. I was in school when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. For those of you who are in your 30s, you read about that in history books, I watched it on TV, right? I watched it on, I think, I think we, mom and dad, I think we had that big color console, TV, right? That on one side was a TV, on the other side was a stereo, uh, a turntable, and all the records, all the albums were kept in the side. What's an album? What's uh, yeah, an album? It wasn't a CD, it wasn't a download, it was an album, okay? So when you say, technology and do it on computers. I said, listen, I appreciate that, but I can't help them. So what would help my boys is online school, is teachers getting on the computer with them and walking them through it. You know what happened? On Sunday, I got an email from Michael's teacher, and Michael and Gabriel are twins, but they're not in the same classroom. Parents of twins, I would have, if you're in the auditorium or if you're on, watching on Facebook, I think it's a great idea. It'll break your heart to separate those twins in school, but it's the best idea because you don't want your school system having a teacher uh, retire every year because of your kids, okay? So, so my boys are in separate classes. And the teachers combined, they brought specialists in because my boys have a reading specialist and math specialist try to help them catch up. And they formulated a plan that would work for our family. And they, <laughs> it, was like, it was like those books that are out there, um, building a deck for dummies. That's what it was like, man. It was like a three-page calendar. Okay, Mr. Chase, go to this site and go up on, then go to Google. And up in the right-hand corner, click on the waffle. I didn't know it was a waffle. 
Okay, click on the waffle. And then after the waffle, click on this. And was step by step by step. And you know what? I know it worked great for Gabriel and Michael because they, were, they hated being in school. And they wanted to get out. And 1.30 couldn't come soon enough for them. Success. <laughs> Success. You know that no kid wants to be in school to learn. They want to be in school to play. Not, not all kids, but... So it was successful. And I had prayed about that. Aaron and I had prayed about our boys and their education because we wanted to, to get it right for them. And our anger at the situation was expressed in the right way, righteously. And look at what happened. And now my boys are getting more school than they can handle. And I love it. I love it. You see... <laughs> wish they had that for my oldest son. <laughs> but you see, there is a way to deal with it according to God's word. And that's my challenge to you. Try to identify it. Try to work through your anger. And go, the first thing is go to God about your anger this week. Start praying. We'll pick up next week uh, with how we express anger in a Jesus-like way. And we'll finish this sermon. I hope you come back and join us. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune, tune in. Thank you so much for bearing with us while we had the, um, while we had the uh, technical issues. My tech team back there is waving their arms in the air like nothing, there are no consequences whatsoever. I get it. What we're going to do is after I pray, the worship team is going to come back up because uh, the song Waymaker, I think it is. is what's that? Chain Breaker. Yeah. They're going to sing again because we weren't able, it wasn't on audio, so they're going to sing for you for those of you who are watching. And uh, so you guys come on up while I close in prayer if you want. But... Um, before we close in prayer, I'll just remind you if you want to support this ministry financially, you can go to newlife317.com, click in the box, uh, and it'll drop down, and you can uh, give that way. And uh, see, you wouldn't get this if it was taped. This is live, right? This is live. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, so, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your mercy to us. Thank you, Lord, that you provide a way for us to deal with everything in life, and that includes our emotions. Lord, these are difficult times, they're tough times, but they're not times that defeat us as Christians. There are times that we can rise above, and I pray that we'll all learn that. Lord, I pray that even though we're separated, we'll still learn. And I pray, Father, that you'll watch over each and every one of us. May you give us safety throughout this week. I pray as the worship team sings again for us, God, that you'll bless our hearts, bless the hearts of those who are watching. God, may we connect supernaturally through the internet. And may it grip our hearts. I'm looking forward to hearing them again, Lord. Thank you so much for your love. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, you brother. If you feel lost
searched for the light of day in the dead of night. And we've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. And we've all run the things we know just ain't right. But there's a better life. But there's a better Shaking 